Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Good afternoon. This is the Tom Bernard Show. Obviously, Tom is not here. He's running late, so it's just Andy and I right now. So, but we got to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt. Then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, One of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company. And they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive continues to grow. They think it's because of their upfront pricing, no haggle or hassle sales experience, and working with one person from start to finish. I think we all know it's because of the loyal podcast listeners. I've said it a million times before. I won't endorse a company that I don't believe in, and Walzer's no exception. I've bought several cars from them, as has my family. I know what you're thinking. Tommy got some special deal. Well, the truth is we paid the Walzer best price just like everyone else. Walzer will sell about 35,000 cars this year, and you can't do that if your prices aren't great. Do yourself a favor. When it's time to shop for a new or used car, go to walzer.com and give them a shot. You won't be sorry. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. We are back here on the Tom Bernard Show. And it's just Andy and I right now. Later we'll be joined by Todd Glass will be in the studio. And maybe a special guest. Mm-hmm. We got some other guests for you today, too. Um, but we'll just cover some news until Tom gets here. Uh, let's Whenever see. that is. <laughs> He's on Tom's time. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we have another fatal shooting of a 17-year-old kid in, it looks like, Pennsylvania. A Pennsylvania police officer fatally sh- shot a 17-year-old who said, the police said that he had fled a car that the officers had pulled over Tuesday night in East Pittsburgh and it's draw, drawing a wide outcry. Oh, they worded this weird. And there was it's a ex- because news sites don't have editors anymore. Oh God, it's horrible how they <laughs> structure a sentence. I guess there was a video of the teenager getting gunned down, but I don't want to see that. Uh, let's see. The teenager who was identified as Antoine Rose Jr. by the medical examiner did not have a weapon on his body, and he was shot. Said the police. Two guns were found in the car and had been a passenger in it. Let's see, the incident happened while the police was investigating a drive-by shooting in the borough of North Braddock at about 8.30 p.m. on Tuesday. About 15 minutes later, they pulled over a silver 
Chevrolet Cruze that matched the description given by the witness in another borough nearby. East Pittsburgh, according to Coleman McDonough, the police superintendent whose department is investigating the shooting. The driver was ordered out of the vehicle and directed to the ground, McDonough said, but the two other people in the car fled from the vehicle by foot. So we have another fatal shooting of a 17-year-old kid. Probably not a good idea to flee <sighs> the cops. Well, that's the thing. It's just I, I don't understand why people can't comply. Yes, I know. they probably fled because they were breaking the law. They may have had drugs on them. Who knows? Well, but still, you have to know that fleeing from the police, there's a good chance that you're going to get shot. Exactly, especially when they find two guns in the car. So they yeah, have to exactly. assume the people that are running have guns mm-hmm. on them as well. And the police have do have to protect not only themselves, but the community. So if you have people running through the streets with guns, that's probably why. Um, I, I don't know what we could do to to stop this. I mean, it's... I think the cops are so on edge and they're trigger happy because of all the um, crime oh, yeah, that Pittsburgh happens. Yeah, there's some... yeah, the crimes in the community. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost just, I mean, it's kind of like when you walk through a sketchy neighborhood, you're on edge. You're yeah. going to be constantly scanning. You're in a neighborhood you're not familiar with. Well, not to mention people hate cops so much. It's like. Oh, I know. Yeah. So they have to assume that there's a lot of people out there who just want them dead. And they're probably right. I don't know. I wish wish there could be some type of connection with the police police force and the community. And so the community can gain their trust. I don't know. One thing I've noticed, too, with these communities is they they should start policing themselves as well. Mm. Turn people in if you see some illegal activity. Don't be afraid to be a snitch. That's the biggest problem. You know, if somebody gets shot, the police come, nobody saw anything. Yeah. So if you... And then nothing gets better. Exactly. I mean, if you get... If you can help your communities by getting the crime out of there, I think there might be a better bond between police and the community. I just... I don't know. It's it's sad, you know, it's sad that the 17-year-old kid is dead. But we don't know all the facts as well, and I'm assuming this is probably going to turn into another big story mm-hmm. nationwide and probably protests. I don't know. It's it's hard to Well, the fact that they found guns in the car definitely does not help. Yeah, I I'm assuming it was probably if the description of the vehicle was Similar to the car that they, and they found guns, yes, the cops do have probable mm-hmm. cause to uh, probably draw their weapons if need be. I mean, it, it's, you know, just don't run from the cops. Just comply. Not a good idea. <laughs> so, let's see. What other news stories? I'm so tired of politics. I know. That's all it is, too. Oh, God. It's just Inescapable. Every... I know. Well, um... I know Trump last yesterday, I believe, signed with the immigration laws that he signed that they will not split up families at the border. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. We should not split up families. Um, I don't understand the why. Why is this so hard for these politicians to figure out something with immigration? We have immigrants coming here, especially from um, Hispanic countries. They're hard workers. They're great people. They come here because it's so corrupt and poor where they're coming from. That's why they're coming here. And, you know, people are like, well, they're illegal. Okay. Um, One thing that I have always brought up, I'm like, why can't we come up with some type of system for these immigrants that aren't legal yet where you can take instead of giving them a social security number we can give them like a temporary citizenship number mm. and they'll use that as like a social security number it'll identify them so when they find a job here in the united states they can use that number and they can have taxes taken out like it would be social security but that money that is coming up will go into a separate fund and it will cover any health care expenses they have, 
welfare expenses they need instead of draining it from the general fund. Yeah. Because right now what's happening is that these illegal illegal immigrants are coming here and they're getting benefits and welfare and everything. And it's a big um, chunk of our general fund has to be brought out and they're not paying taxes. So they're taking money out, but no more money is going back mm-hmm. into that general fund. So, you know, and then, you know, they can be put on a, a lottery system or something to where as, as soon as they get citizenship, then they'll get a social security number because I know they come here on work visas, but I I know a lot of them they'll their work visas will expire, but they'll stay here and they'll work. And it, it, yeah, but technically you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, I, I mean I just I don't want the families getting split up. I think that's horrible, especially if the parents came here illegally, had their child here, and then their parents are getting deported. That's not it's not the American way. I mean we were built on. Uh, this country was built on immigrants, and but okay, well, as the crisis of migrant children separated from their families provoked national outrage, President Donald Trump said he was powerless to act through an executive order. Five days later, he did just that. The president's abrupt about face laid bare the administration's capricious use of executive power as it presses forward with a crackdown on illegal immigration. First. Let's see. The children in this zero-tolerance prosecution policy then coming up with a stop-gap reprieve. I don't even know what stop-gap. That's kind of a weird word to use. Reprieve in the face of global condemnation. The president, who had declared as a candidate that I alone can fix the nation's problems in recent weeks threw up his arms and said only Congress could solve the problem of children being separated from their parents and then reserved course once again. What changed? Brookings Institute senior fellow Bill Galston, a presidential scholar and Clinton White House official, described it as a classic blame shifting in the face of mounting bipartisan criticism and amid heartbreaking tales of toddlers kept from their parents. The president said he was unsustainable position and that would like to be bailed out of what oh my god and he'd like to be bailed out of without having to admit fault well you're the president you have to take fault that's what that's part of your job basically what the job is is to get blamed for everything yeah you know and when you're the head of state i mean you have to take the fall Mm -hmm. you know um i don't know i just hope they get this fixed i mean this is just it's getting to the point where it's just playground politics. You know, it's either my way or the highway, and it's doing a you know a disservice to the constituents and the citizens of the United States. I just, ugh, I just, w- I think we should start over with ho- the whole Washington D.C. area. <laughs> it's, oh yeah, it's pretty horrible, and yeah. everyone knows it's horrible, but they don't care. Let's see if we have any some dumb crimes. We need some laughs. I know Wise Brother has that kind of thing all the time. Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> one place I like to go is, uh, what is it called, the Smoking Gun. And they have the most obnoxious, uh, like, uh, mug shots. And, oh, my gosh, it's hilarious. Oh, God, I don't even know what this. Well, KFC's I, finally getting chicken and waffles. Yeah, I heard your dad talking about it on KQ this morning. Yeah, they're finally, I think they're only doing it for a limited time to see if. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Carolinas for obvious oh, reasons. They have such good food. My mom's from North Carolina and we'd go down there and the barbecue is delicious. I don't know. I've never had chicken and waffles, but it sounds bad. The only time I've had chicken and waffles anything is when. Lay's potato chips was coming out with all, you know, when they had that mm. contest where people can send in like a flavor or something. So they would put out four different flavors and they had a chicken and waffle flavored potato chip. It was disgusting. Oh, well, yeah, it, it sounds tasted pretty like disgusting. I, <laughs> it tasted like I ate a sweaty sock. Mm. It was like, I'm like, this doesn't even taste like food. I just, I don't, syrup on chicken. I don't know. No, I, thank it, you. it doesn't sound appealing to me. This chicken and waffles thing. I like waffles. I like my fried chicken, but not together. Yeah, exactly. It just doesn't sound like a... See, waffles to me is breakfast food. Chicken is like 
dinner food. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't like to mix the two. Well, let's see. Uh, yeah, this guy. Okay, well, a Kansas man was charged today with lewd and, let's see, lewd behavior for his repeated attempts to have sex with a tailpipe on a parked automobile. Mm. Yeah. People do that. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> it's a thing. Mechanosexual or something like that. I, th how do you get to that point where you look at a tail? I mean, I'm not a guy, but it's. I think it's like you know, messed up childhood kind of it thing. It must be. Well, something happened to you when you were a kid, <laughs> and you know. Well, Ryan Malik, 23, was named was named in a municipal court complaint, accusing him of exposing himself with the intent of arousing and gratifying sexual desires. Malik had been summoned to a court. In July 19th, to answer the criminal charge pictured above, which he's like showing his big bicep guns. Uh, gross. Of course he is. <laughs> uh, let's see. Malik says the cop. He said that the cop said that he was intoxicated when he sought sought out the tryst with the vehicle on May 1st in Newton, a city 25 miles north of Wichita. The local cops responding to the 911 call about a man beneath a vehicle discovered Malik endeavoring to place, I don't even want to place his junk, into a tailpipe of a car parked outside the apartment complex. Let's see. Malik, a Newton resident, was obviously, it was obvious what his intentions were. Oh, my God. Gross. Oh, can you imagine walking outside your apartment? Yeah. And I don't think I would know what to say. Well, not to mention a tailpipe. I mean, they have like, they often have jagged edges and, you know, they're going to be full of soot. <laughs> I don't know. I know there's nothing appealing about it. No, that not really. That is bizarre. Why? Oh, some people. Some people. Yeah. Yeah, there's people, like, putting guns in body cavities you don't even want to know. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I... I think if you have a traumatic event when you're a kid, you can develop a fetish for anything. Really? Because it replaces the trauma in your mind. And yeah. the mind will be desperate to, you know, get rid of whatever trauma's in there. So it's like, okay, well, we'll just... Uh, Swap it out for this. There yeah, we go. Well, like, now I'm I, fine. What I just don't get is just like what tragedy in his life could I know. possibly for a tailpipe. You know, I or could... maybe he was just so drunk <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing. Maybe I don't know. It's entirely possible he just like was completely you know reverted to a. Well, I hope Ryan -like stops state. drinking for the sake of the cars. I hope he stops drinking. Mm. <laughs> So, well, we'll have some more news stories. We're going to go to break here, and hopefully Tom will be back soon. But like I said, we have some great guests coming in, a surprise guest maybe in studios, so you have to stay tuned for that. So we will be right back here on the Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with the client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Did you know that about 60% of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy, blurry, or dim vision due to cataracts? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years, but did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery? Yes, indeed, and I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so I called up the folks at Whiting Clinic. They helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options, so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery or clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to RSVP today. That's 855-554-2020 to learn more 
about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. That's interesting. That's the cars. The balance is a little off. Let the good times roll. There we go. Let them knock you around. They were an interesting band. Yeah. Let the good times roll. Let them make you a clown. He wasn't the greatest looking man. <laughs> no. Especially for no, he was kind of, kind of, um, really, uh, kind of. To me, he always reminded me of one of the Ramones. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the punk band, but uh, I can't remember his name. Why can't I think of his name? Uh, let's see, Rick Ocasek. Yeah, I think that's him. Rick Oc. Oh, yeah, him. Yeah, doesn't he look like he could be one of the Ramones? Yeah. Yeah. I always thought he... I Well, honestly, when I was a kid, I always thought that he split from the Ramones and went and did his own thing, but I was wrong. Oh. Well, here's an interesting... Oh, classic. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Apparently. Well, here's an interesting story. A Tennessee man accidentally freed from jail after being given bond meant for his twin brother. Hmm. <laughs> How weird is that? A Tennessee man charged with first-degree attempted murder is now on the run after he was mistakenly released from jail on bond meant for his twin brother, officials said. Oh, God, how do you say this name? Quindarius Jordan, 19, was arrested October 2017 for allegedly shooting someone in an East Nashville convenience store and wounding a 62-year-old woman who was caught in the crossfire, police said. His identical twin, Quintarius Jordan, was arrested and charged as an accessory to the crime for allegedly driving the getaway car. Though Quintarius Jordan made his $5,000 bond, he was arrested again on separate charges and his bond was supposed to be reinstated. But instead of reinstating it under Quintarius, it was... Okay, okay, their names are Quintarius and Quindarius. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) It was reinstated under... Quindarius, Nashville criminal court clerk, county, let's see, Howard Getty told Inside Edition. On June 5th, authorities realized Quintarius Jordan's bond had not been reinstated, and they did so, but did not correct the previous mistake that lowered Quindarius Jordan's bond to 5000 His family spotted that the lower, lower amount needed to free Quindarius Jordan last Friday, and he was bonded out. I have an employee sitting here for 20 years. She has never had a situation like this before. The identical twins named are one letter apart. They had the same case number. Their social security numbers were one digit apart. And let's see, the electronic originating agency case number, or OCA, is also one digit apart. That doesn't excuse this action. It just explains the uniqueness and unusual situation, Getty said. He apologized for the error, saying that his office was not taken, let's say, not taking the mistake lightly. Our job is to keep records and keep them correctly, he said. None of us are okay with what happened. We have a shooter who is still out with his victims who have been shot. <clears throat> wow. That is a bizarre mm. mix up. I mean, how often would you have tw- identical twin brothers? Yeah, you feel like you should probably, like, put them in different jails. <laughs> yeah. or put, like, ID bracelets on them with yeah. all their numbers. And like they do in the hospital, you have to double-check everything. Are you, uh, okay, what's your number? And, mm-hmm. I mean, come on. It, it, that's a big mix-up. But, yeah, they do look a lot alike. Well, twins tend to do that. <laughs> Quindarius and Quintarius. Oh, good God. Well, hopefully he'll get caught and, you know, justice will be served. Well, if both brothers got sent to prison, I'm guessing they're not too bright, so. Oh, here's a good. They'll probably get caught. Oh, no. This is not a good story. Oh. Oh, no. Mm. This was on my bucket list. Well. Coco the gorilla, who knew sign language, died at age 46. Oh, no. Hmm. I've always wanted to meet Coco. I'm fascinated by primates, especially gorillas. Smart primates. This is very sad news for me. Okay. Coco the gorilla who mastered sign language has died. The Gorilla Foundation said the 46-year-old western lowland gorilla died in her sleep at the Foundation's Preserve in California Santa Cruz Mountains on Tuesday. 
Coco was born at a San Francisco zoo, and Dr. Francine Patterson began teaching gorilla sign language that became part of a Stanford University project in 1974. The founder said Coco's capacity for language and empathy opened the minds of hearts of millions. Coco, who appeared in documentaries and twice in National Geographic, the gorilla's 1978 cover photo that the animal had taken of herself in a mirror. Oh, cute. She took a picture. She took a selfie. <laughs> the foundation said it will honor Coco's legacy with sign language application featuring Coco for a benefit of gorillas and children as well as other projects. That's so sad. I um, Did you ever see the video of Robin Williams meeting Coco? Yeah, that's actually what I, the first thing I thought of was, yeah. Yeah, she was a very special girl. I... I've watched a lot of uh, YouTube and documentaries on Coco. Uh, she really wanted a baby, and did she ever have kids? No, no. Th- oh. They would try and substitute uh, having a baby gorilla for her. They would give her kittens. Yeah. One of the cats got out and was hit by a car. Yeah, and, I remember that. Yeah, and when she they was had all to, sad about it. Yeah, I mean, she really, I mean, if you really watch anything on Coco the Gorilla, you can really see her empathy. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, she literally has tears coming out of her eyes. It's, she's, she was a, she was a gem. And uh, it's sad that she's gone. But she lived to be 46 years old. That's probably a pretty good age for Gorilla, especially in captivity. Um, yeah, that is not good news. I'm not happy with that, but life must go on, I guess. I wonder why they didn't Uh, have, like, breed her. Well, they tried to. It's harder to breed, especially gorillas and chimps, in captivity. Mm. Oh, yeah, she she was living with a male gorilla for the last 18 years, so... Yeah, but they never... You'd think at some point they would have bred, but probably not. They did. I think when they're in the wild, there's more of a competition to breed. But when you just put two gorillas in captivity yeah, one like, on one, they're we like, got everything we need. Who cares? Yeah, we don't. Need, why do we need to expand? I think they do that. It's natural for them to do it in the wild because they know they have to procreate. Mm-hmm. So, like pandas. Yeah. So I, you know, but that is sad that she's gone. But she seemed to live a good life, and a lot of people learned from her, and. The amount of sign language she learned and to communicate with humans was outstanding. I could watch videos on her for hours. So, well, R.I.P. Coco. Let's see here. I'm just so sick. It's all these political stuff. It's just outrageous. And it's all, like, different. It's all about... Right now, it's Trump in this immigration. Yeah, eighty percent. Any di- any given day, eighty percent of the stories are going to be politics. Well, here's something I say: Don't ask us to fly migrant children. Airlines said, "Oh, aren't we just snooty?" Four oh, major U.S. <laughs> four major U.S. airlines, American, United, Southwest, and Frontier, said on Wednesday that they did not want the government to use them to transport migrant children who have been separated from their families. We bring families together, not apart, Americans said in the statement issued. Well, are they talking about bring, bringing like parents and children back together that have already been separated? I mean, this is weird. Well, we already do that, as yeah. far as I know. We, we send the parents back... And then we put the kids somewhere while we're doing that. And then once the parents are sent back, we send the kid back to the parents. Oh, is that okay? Yeah. From what I know, that's how the whole thing goes. Yeah, it says, we bring families together, not apart, Americans said in the statement. Issued before President Donald Trump reversed the family separation policy, Americans said it had no knowledge that the government had, in fact, been using the airline to transport these children but would be extremely disappointed to learn that it had. The airline provides travel to the government through contracts, but the government does not reveal details about the flights of their passengers, the statement said. Following Americans' announcement, United, Southwest, and Frontier released similar statements. Our company's shared purpose is to connect people and unite the world, United CEO Oscar Munoz said. This policy and its impact on thousands of children in deep conflict with that mission and we want to be a, we want no part of it 
In a Twitter post, Frontier said, Frontier prides itself on being a family airline, and we will not knowingly allow our flights to be used to transport migrant children away from their families. In its statement, Southwest said that it wanted no part of separating children from their parents, Reuters said. So it's a lot of the same back-and-forth politics. Oh, good. Well, Tom is here. Paper. No, not yet. In about five minutes. Yes. we just been reading news stories. We just found some sad news. Coco the gorilla died. Oldest Oh, the orangutan? The, no, the gorilla, no, gorilla. The one the that gorilla. did all the sign language. Oh, yeah, because the, the world's oldest orangutan just died, too. No. He's 62 years old. Uh, the orangutan was? Yeah. Pretty old. Yeah, the Coco was 46 years old. She was the one that did all that sign language. Right. And... But I tell you, the reason that she died, she probably tried to drive in, in Minneapolis-St. Paul traffic. <laughs> it's horrible. I'm telling you, honestly, I have never been through such hideous driving in my life. So here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. I, I called Andy. I said, there is no way that I'm getting there on time. Not a chance. I had to go from Golden Valley to downtown Minneapolis, right, mm-hmm. do a lawyer thing. I get out of there, uh, like 5th and Nicollet. Mm-hmm. I get out of there, and a cop directs me right into the Twins traffic. Twins oh. game started like 45 or half hour ago. <laughs> he, he directs me right into the Twins traffic, and then I try to take a right on Hennepin, and the cop yells, no, he, he shakes it, nope, can't turn. Aww. I had to go all the way basically to North Minneapolis oh, and to turn around. to the right. And then this lady... As I'm turning, and I'm not going to come in her lane, she honks at me anyway. Like, why are you honking at me? I'm not coming into your lane. Why are you honking at me? Mm. So i got to go from downtown Minneapolis to Roseville. Oh, wow. Is every street in the state of Minnesota under construction? Yes. Yes. Yes, they are. What's that street that Kramarchuk is on? Uh, Our Lady of Lords Church is right down the block. It's I know nothing. It's Hennepin. I think yeah, it's just yeah, Hen- it's Hennepin Avenue. Yeah, it sounds right. It is torn up all the way to about Eighth Street or Eighth oh, wow. Avenue, whatever really? it is. It's all torn up the whole way. Stop and go. I mean, I literally had to sit through three lights at a time. Oh. So I get to Roseville. Mm-hmm. Well, this should be pretty easy. I'll just go down 94, and I might even get there on time. I made it as far as Cedar Avenue, and all four lanes, because there's four lanes there, bumper to bumper, all the way through the tunnel. So I'd have been, I'd have never gotten here by two o'clock. It'd yeah. been unbelievable. Um, so I exit on Cedar Avenue. There, it's uh, under construction in parts too. <laughs> So then I go, well, I'll go to Washington and get on uh, I-94 right at 3rd, right by J.D. Hoyts. Mm -hmm. Nope. Their traffic is so backed up there, there is no way you can drive through. It's just on. And here's the problem. You have some people who are doing 20 miles an hour. It's like there's an opening here. But, you know, we can go down the street faster. Seriously, between the horrendous drivers and all the construction – and the Twins game, it was, I am shocked that I got here as soon as I did. Yeah. I literally thought I was going to miss the whole show. Yeah, well, that's what they say in Minnesota. We have three seasons. We have winter or fall, winter, and road construction. It's true. I'm glad I got here for Todd Glass. Todd Glass is amazing. Yeah. He was on the morning show this morning. He was just, God, he was funny. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having him come in. And Daryl Mickles? Mickles? How do you say? I don't know. Is it Daryl Miklos? Uh, well, it, that's sounds... definitely Greek. So in the Greek, it would be Miklos. But Miklos. Oh, it's not. Uh, that's an O. Okay. Miklos. I, I think it is. Isn't Daryl it? Miklos. I, I don't know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's an O. Nobody tells me anything. That's Miklos. All I to you. But yeah, I, look, I, I just, I'm absolutely going to tell you flat out, <clears throat> I will never go downtown Minneapolis during no. the day again. I, never. I I absolutely refuse to go to downtown during rush hour. Andy, it must have been horrible living down there. It's not It's not worth driving in rush no, hour. No, it's not. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it is no. not worth 
Uh, no, it's not. Well, nope. usually if I go to a Twins game or Viking anything yeah. downtown, I take the light rail because I don't want to yeah. deal good move. with it. That's a good move. Yeah. So I usually Just park walk. by the Mall of America and then take the light good rail idea. from the, mm-hmm. if I'm going to Target Field or U.S. Bank Stadium or anything downtown. Whatever the situation is works for me. That's mm-hmm. all I have to say. Have you heard from Louie yet? I have not. We don't know when I he's think, coming in. Yeah, but I don't either. I haven't heard from Mom either. Where is she? She told you that you have to get that paperwork i know but so she's not coming in nope she's not coming in either okay alex is obviously not coming in right we gotta get we gotta get take a break here we'll be right back in a couple of minutes tom bernard show hi this is tom if you spend any time at the lake you know how important it is to have the right dock that's why you should know about flow docks flow docks are rock solid with double bracing to eliminate side to side sway they're completely modular so you can configure them to your family's needs or add on as your family's needs grow and get this You can install, level, and remove your flow dock without even getting into the water. You see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make, right down to flow boat lifts that are quieter, faster, and effortless to install and use. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Flow is about making things easy. My friends at Flow also told me that hockey star Ryan Suter bought a flow dock and lift as he wanted the best for his family. See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. See them at docks and Lifts. A better way. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost weight loss plan, and now you can find out how to have success losing weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth, just like me, at their free informational dinner on Monday, July 23rd at 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth, those unwanted pounds will melt away really fast. I've lost over 65 pounds at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth after being educated on clean eating, finding out what foods my body prefers, and I now know the foods that our weight gain triggers. As I've said over and over again, the Nutramost weight loss plan is so easy, and they guarantee that you lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Call now to register for the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth dinner on July 23rd. To register, call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. That works for me right there. <laughs> it's life. <laughs> That's life. You'll be stuck in traffic. And in it also sounds like baseball music. Yeah, because of the organ. Yep, so That's there you go. Life. That's no life. doubt about it. That's Remember when the electric organ was popular? Oh, like 80 years ago. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing thing. It's, uh, I guess, oh. when the 7 billion roads are done, it'll be really nice. Our guest just yeah. called. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Jack Davis, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Tom? Uh, I just had to drive through traffic through downtown Minneapolis to Roseville, which is a suburb of St. Paul, back to a suburb of Minneapolis called St. Louis. It was Jack, it was dreadful. <laughs> Every road is under construction. Every road is under construction. What, what the well, hell is that? Well, summertime, what do you think? Well, yeah, that's true. It literally is in Minnesota. It's winter and road construction. Those are the two seasons. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Aaron told you. I'm on top of a mountain in New Hampshire. Ah, uh, you know, poor you, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's all I, I have know, to say. I know. Poor you on top of a mountain in New Hampshire. Actually, yeah, yeah, New Hampshire. Yeah. I tried to talk my wife into moving to Manchester, but uh, she wants oh, to stay really? there. Yeah. Oh, I love New Hampshire. I think it's magnificent. We used to live in New York about 30 years ago. Yeah, it is. So I would, you know, head up and go to New Hampshire, Vermont. It's amazing. No question. Yeah, it really is. Really is. I'm up here every summer. Jack, let me run this by you because I'm so far the only human being from uh, the Midwest. I know at least 11 people from Rhode Island. How is that even possible? There are about 12 people there. I must know them all. I don't know. I don't know. Are they all Brown University graduates? Yeah. <laughs> I that, know them or something. Yeah, you might be right about that. You might be right yeah. about that. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Davis, the Gulf, the making of an American sea. The American landscape is often framed by its bordering seas and dueling coasts. 
and defined by a romance of Western expansion, but forgotten or more accurately unappreciated is that third coastline named our southern border for our southern border. Jack E. Davis's The Gulf colorfully reinstates this region within the American narrative, arguing that its sinuous contours, bountiful waters, and warm currents have long seduced and tricked the human species from the age of Spanish conquistadors to present day into a disastrous pattern of exploitation. I will tell you something, Jack. I spent uh, quite a bit of time in Gulfport and Biloxi, Mississippi. I Did you win anything <laughs> when you were in Biloxi? Uh, how 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 are your dice rolling while you're in Biloxi? I am not a big gambler. Yeah. I, 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 I just, yeah, yeah. I was down there because we were looking at uh, when Katrina came through. It wiped out a lot of mil- okay. military housing down there, so we were going down there to see if we could rebuild the um, some military housing for them, and we uh, built it all. And then uh, one of the partners stripped all the value out of it, and we all lost tons of money. Wonderful. No. <laughs> it's really great, Jack. I will tell you this. I did think the uh, the waterfront area, it's just from Alabama to, you know, as I said, Gulfport and Biloxi and go all, all the way across. Uh, and, of course, most Minnesotans who, who winter in Florida will winter on the West Coast, over on the Gulf Coast. So uh, it's a very familiar. I Literally, you go to um, the Fort Myers area. Uh, Naples. There are more Minnesotans there than I think vacation than anywhere. It's Minnesotans and, and Canadians. It's pretty amazing. It is. It is. I grew up in that in that part of Florida, and uh, yes, quite a few people from the Midwest and and from Canada, as you said. Yeah, it's amazing. It's and like I said, it's wonderful. But the problem you have there now is that <clears throat> there's one road, and you want to talk some traffic now. My God, there's a lot of traffic, but that's good. It's fine. Um, so you grew up, so you're, you're just, you love where you grew up, the Gulf. It's, yeah, I could understand that. Where, where did you grow up? Uh, did you grow up in Fort Myers or, or near there? No, I, well, I grew, uh, my early part of my childhood, uh, we lived in, uh, the Florida Panhandle or on the Florida Panhandle mm-hmm. oh, okay. in Fort Walton Beach. And then we moved from there down to the Tampa Bay area. Oh. So St. Petersburg area is really where, um, I spent most of my time. And you're right, this Writing this book was very much a labor of love because sure. I have this lifelong, intimate relationship with the Gulf of Mexico. And when I was looking around for another book to write, after I finished my last one, which is a biography of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, who, of course, has oh, been in the news yeah, lately. absolutely. Um, I looked at the Gulf and uh, realized nobody had written its history. And um, really? I felt it was just a good fit for me. That's amazing that nobody's written its history. Do you know why that is, Jack? No, but uh, I'm not complaining. <laughs> they, they offered me that opportunity <laughs> to do so, and I, and you know it was the timing was uh, could not have been better. I, I think um, it. Uh, yeah, I started. Um, uh, I started thinking of the book around the time of the BP oil spill, and when that happened, I realized that uh, my objective with this book was to uh, to reclaim the identity, the true identity of the Gulf of Mexico, because I think that that oil spill robbed much of its identity and uh, Americans when they think of the Gulf of Mexico they often just think of oil or they think of you know tragic hurricanes but the history is much richer in that and all Americans have a connection to the Gulf of Mexico historically and ecologically uh, whether or not they've been to the Gulf and um, so I want I wanted to flesh that out and I wanted to bring as you said in your introduction I wanted to um, bring the the history of the Gulf of Mexico uh, into the uh, larger uh, American historical narrative Tell you what, Jack, you, you are preaching to the choir because uh, when we, once in a while, we drive down from Minneapolis to uh, Florida and we uh, go through St. Louis and Memphis and then you hop on I-22 and you go through uh, Mississippi. So you go through uh, Elvis Presley's birthplace, Tupelo, Mississippi, which is very cool. But I tell you, when you get to Fort Walton Beach, it's gorgeous. And then you just kind of... It's stunning, isn't it? It is. Those emerald waters and and crystal white beaches, yeah. Yep. We just love that whole situation. And once you get done across Alabama and go into Fort Walton Beach is one of the first places. Actually, Pensacola is before Fort Walton Beach, isn't it, as you're going uh, east? Uh, 
Yes, as you go on going east, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. You, you get Pensacola. And here, and you know, here's the thing that I love about those beaches. People don't know the origins of them. Those beaches, that beautiful white quartz sand used to be on top of the Appalachian Mountains. And over the eons, uh, really? uh, rain and wind washed it down to the Gulf of Mexico. And um, the Appalachian Mountains were once, as, once as, as tall as the Himalayan Mountains. But now, you know, as I write in the book, when you walk on a beach uh, on the Gulf of Mexico, you, you walk on a mountain. Uh, and it's true for the other beaches around the other parts of the coast, too. And un- t- uh, unfortunately for Louisiana, they have the ugliest beaches. Uh, they're, they're very brown. I mean, if you've ever <laughs> seen are. a... If yep. you ever, and I know you have. You, you've seen a plowed field in Iowa. Yep. Well, that's a future Louisiana beach. Um, but what Louisiana yeah. has is uh, these marvelous coastal marshes that are unequaled in the United States and, and hardly equaled across, across the globe. Um, and then the, the sand and the beach sand in Texas is pink and yellow and bays, um, and that sediment comes from as far away as the uh, the Rocky Mountains. What's that big big lake that you drive across a bridge when you, you go east from New Orleans? What is the name of that? Pontchartrain. Lake Pontchartrain, Pontchartrain absolutely. Yeah. Lake Pontchartrain. How did I not know that, Jack? Lake Pontchartrain. But that's the scenery <laughs> along, and again, as I said, Mississippi and Alabama uh, into into Florida. And all the rest of it, it's, I just, I absolutely loved it. I really, really did. Um, and I, I continue to, we're big fans of, of the Florida area. We have tons of friends on the Fort Myers side and on the Palm Beach side. Uh, but the Gulf of Mexico fascinates me because, yeah, you're right. Nobody really talks much about the Gulf of Mexico, do they? They don't. And, you know, th- this book has enjoyed tremendous success, which has been fabulous. Uh, and not, not for me, not necessarily for the, uh, for the book, but for the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, it won the 2008, 2018 Pulitzer Prize in history. You know, I got, it won a, another bu- uh, big book prize and it's gotten and been reviewed in national newspapers. And, and, you know, what it's done is it's, it's revealed how much Americans really do appreciate the Gulf for more than just this oil supplier. Um, and I, I get emails from people from all over the country uh, thanking me for this book uh, and for saying these things and, and really introducing them to the Gulf of Mexico and how, um, how this is just such a wonderful sea that's uh, a part of us, our history, but also very much a part of our, our daily lives. I think it, I'm so happy. How, how is it that you were the first person interested in writing a book about the Gulf of Mexico? That's amazing to me. I, you know, I don't know. There, you know, there have been a number of local histories that have been written, say, about Biloxi and Pensacola uh, and, and other places around the Gulf. But, um, you know, sometimes those, um, those topics that once they're in, in a, been written as a book, um, it become, they look very obvious to us, but um, somehow they got overlooked. And as I said, here's here's the thing. Here's here could be part of what's going on or had been going on, is if you look in look at the index of any high school or college U.S. history textbook, um, you there's a good chance you won't even find the Gulf of Mexico listed. And if you and if it is, it's only mentioned in passing in in, in the book itself. Uh, and so I don't think again, I don't think it's on people's minds outside of an oil spill, outside of a, of a hurricane or a vacation spot. Uh, and it just didn't seem like, uh, you know, we, we are re- uh, we're a region-centric, uh, um, we have a region-centric um, historical memory in this country. Uh, the textbooks focus on New England, they focus on the Virginia area, or they focus on the Great West. Um, and uh, then much, of, uh, there, so there are many places that, that are overlooked in, in American history. I one of the things that I did enjoy, because a lot of times I would fly into New Orleans and then stay one night in New Orleans and, and then drive across, and it's a, a wonderful, wonderful drive. Uh, it, it, what amazes me is there are old, old restaurants in Biloxi and, and Gulfport, and you go in there, and they always have these lines written on the walls where the last flood, the, the peak of the flood, the, the highest waters reached, it's amazing. These towns were underwater completely, but they came charging back. I love that idea. Well, uh, yeah, well, there, there are some that 
don't think it's such a great idea. I no, understand I what understand. you're saying. It's fascinating. It, yeah. it really does reveal the perseverance and the fervor of, of the American people. I mean, Gallison, Texas, a lot of people don't know it's an island. Uh, in a 19, during the 1900 right. hurricane, uh, it was completely uh, covered. You know, it was drowned. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, but instead of uh, vacating or, or leaving that island and moving their city to the mainland, Galvestonians uh, raised the island uh, five to seven feet. Um, and and stood on that island and dared the next hurricane to to do the same thing. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, those had that had ecological consequences because in raising that island, they had to dredge uh, the bay bottom, which is one of the most uh, um, uh, rich estuaries in on the Gulf Coast. And the Gulf itself is one of the richest estuarine environments in the world. And what's important about that is that that estuarine environment produces one of the most productive uh, commercial fisheries in the United States, right. outperforming uh, the entire East Coast in some years. And, and it's produced a billion-dollar sport fishing industry. Uh, so it's really important that we, you know, we preserve those, those estuaries, we protect them, um, and uh, to keep those fisheries alive. And, but the other thing is to guard against sea level rise, because a coastal marsh such as uh, Louisiana's and, and those along Texas and parts of Florida and Alabama and uh, mangrove forest, um, oyster beds, uh, those are all um, the, our, our best protectors uh, against sea level rise. They, they do uh, better than anything else in mitigating the impact of, of, of those rising waters. That is terrific. What, Jack, what's the deepest part of the Gulf of Mexico? I don't know this. It's about, it's, yeah, it's called the Sigsby Deep. So the, the Gulf averages uh, approximately a mile deep. Which is one reason why you get so many hurricanes uh, oh, drawn right. into the Gulf of Mexico, because of the shallow, warm waters. And the deepest part is called Sigsby's Deep, uh, Sigsby Deep, uh, S-I-G-S-B-Y, and uh, it's, it's approximately two miles. So it's not, a, it's, even in as deepest, it's not that deep. Yeah, two miles, uh, because it, the deepest part yeah. of the ocean is, what, seven and a half miles? Like, is the Mariana Trench? I mean, that's, that's seven and a half miles yeah. or eight miles, yeah. something like that, I know. Uh, right. I will tell you this. Thank you for writing a book about one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, a fast, And it's beautiful. That's the other thing. The views, the Gulf of Mexico, from everywhere I've been, whether it's, you know, Naples, Florida, or all the way down to, uh, oh, God, I mean, everywhere, all the way around to New Orleans, it's just fantastic. I've never, I've never been in the Galveston area or a place like that, but... Um, yeah, it's wonderful. Thank you for writing The Gulf, The Making of an American Sea. Jack Davis, the book is available everywhere, sir. Correct? What did we lose, Jack? Well, that's cool. I don't think so. Well, it's all right. Jack Davis, ladies and gentlemen, the book's called The Gulf, The Making of an American Sea. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show.